presents this October 1 edition of Bass Edge Radio. MegaWare Keelguard has been a proud partner since 2006 and are the industry's first do-it-yourself keel protector. They also manufacture the FlexStep and, of course, SkegGuard. Well, Kurt, the major circuits have now concluded for 2014, but there is still plenty of fishing left to do this year. Today, we're going to continue learning from angler experiences at the FLW Cup earlier this summer in our Lucas Oil Angler Spotlight. And we have a lot to discuss today, so let's get right to it. Bass Edge Radio is away. know the importance of protecting your investments, so why use anything other than the toughest keel protector for your boat? Grinding sand, abrasive rocks, and concrete ramps are no match for our patented technology. KeelGuard keel protectors are made tough and made to stick. Their do-it-yourself installation takes less than an hour, providing the most dependable, most trusted keel protection for your boat, guaranteed for life. So give your boat the performance edge. Put on the protection the pros pick. KeelGuard keel protectors. Patented in 2000, perfected over years of testing and real-world punishment, the Powerpole is the ultimate shallow-water boat positioning tool. Swift, Powerpole deploys in seconds from anywhere in your boat. Virtually silent, Powerpole won't spook wary fish. Secure in strong currents or gusting winds in up to 8 feet of water. Engineered to take it with a lifetime unconditional replacement guarantee on the spike. Powerpole, swift, silent, secure. Visit Powerpole.com to find a dealer near you. Bass Edge Radio. Commence broadcast in three, two, one. You're listening to The Edge. Everything bass fishing. Coming to you nationwide from the Bass Edge Studios. Kurt, back at the mic with you. Always good. October baseball. Football's underway. A lot of people, I'm sure, getting ready to hit the woods for deer season. But, you know, I've got to tell you, I did see, I, I saw where you picked up a, a new sponsorship on the Bass Blaster. Was it the Turd Bait, and you've got their logo across your shirt tail? Is, is that what I understand, or was I wrong on that? No. Uh, yeah, you're actually wrong on that. But I saw the <laughs> same Bass Blaster. The uh, Turd Bait caught a big fish. Unbelievable. You know, fish will bite anything and eat. Even a turd. You're fishing in the wrong areas, dude. If, uh, you know, got to get out of the septic tank. I've seen some of those YouTube videos where those kids will uh, fish in the uh, sewer pipes and they bring out catfish and bass and all kinds of stuff. So there might be something more to it than we know. Maybe we're into a new market for lures. There's definitely something more to it than we know because I can guarantee you I would not be eating or catching those fish. But hey, you know, to each his own, I guess, right? Yeah, no question. Maybe that's our new segment sponsor, you know, for Protect the Harvest. <laughs> I would be protecting that harvest, I guarantee you, all day long. Well, obviously, Aaron, you, you bring that up through uh, Bass Blaster, right? That was the latest thing on Bass Blaster. And, um, you know, I think you do have something. Maybe I should send in a resume for a sponsorship for the Turd Lure. But... <laughs> you betcha. You what's, been, what's been going on in your neck of the woods lately? Man, you know, cooler temperatures and my baseball team is doing well. And so, anyway, we'll, we'll just leave it at that. I don't want to jinx anybody. But, you know, hey, congratulations also to Greg Hackney. I saw Angler of the Year wrap that up on Bass Blaster as well. And, 
you know, I'm just taking motivation from him. I know he is a shallow water fisherman, and that kind of excites me to know that this time of year, the fish are moving in shallow, the bait is starting to move into the backs of the creeks, and kind of go from that summer doldrum, September turnover potential oxygen all scattered throughout the lake to where the bass are really starting to zero in and be a little more predictable. No doubt it is time to get in that skinny water and put your trolling motor on high, get after it, and find those moving bass, especially with those bait fish. I got to say real quick, too, about the Greg Hackney. Saw him collect the trophy, and uh, man, super surprised. The old grizzled Hackney, you know, he got really emotional up on stage, and that was really cool to see. But uh, man, a crazy event up there in Michigan. They had three days canceled. I think that's a new BASS record dealing with those big Great Lakes. They can be tough, but I think Bass made some really good calls, and it was a fun year to watch it go down with Hackney winning the Angler of the Year. Tell you what, it is time. We got Mark Negist on the phone in our Marine Tech Minutes, brought to you by ProtectTheHarvest.com. First by land and now by sea. For years, Lucas Oil has been a staple in high-performance vehicles on both the road and track. Now, from the makers of Lucas Oil comes Lucas Marine products, specifically engineered for marine applications. Protect and lubricate your marine inboard, outboard, or high-performance boat with Lucas Marine Engine Oil or Lucas Synthetic-Based Oil. Learn more about the complete line of Lucas Oil and marine products. Visit lucasoil.com. It's Tech Minute Time, presented by ProtectTheHarvest.com. And we're joined by someone whose blood smells like land and sea, two-cycle oils. Our host, Mark Negust, chief chemist for Lucas Oil Products. Mark, we've spent a lot of time talking about ethanol and really the challenges it presents in our autos and watercrafts. What's on the horizon with oil companies, given kind of the more stringent EPA regulations and really the push you know, for alternative fuels? And what happens to the boats and cars that aren't equipped to accept the new fuels? The OEMs are original equipment manufacturers. They really have to design engine systems and fuel systems to accommodate the different types of ethanol fuels that are out there. Right now, they really are designed to accommodate E10 and E85 for flex fuels. But when you get into E15, which is 15% ethanol, there's restrictions on where it can be used. Specifically, it's designed to be used in anything that's uh, 2000 plus for automotive applications, and it's really not recommended for motorcycle or for watercraft applications, mainly because of the higher percentage of ethanol. Basically, what happens to the boats and the cars that aren't equipped to accept the new fuels is oftentimes the fuel lines will soften, which is an issue, especially with boats, which are stored for long periods of time. Of course, you can't afford a fuel leak, especially when you're on the water. Typically, with a higher percentage of ethanol in there, the 15%, which again, we don't recommend for watercraft applications. Uh, you can have a separation of phases and you can have the formation of rust and corrosion. So really, it's dependent upon the type of fuel that you're using. With the federal mandate of E10 being used throughout the United States, most newer vehicles that are being manufactured can accommodate that percentage of ethanol. But anything over that creates a problem. Well, there's your hot investment tip for the week. It sounds like we need to buy some flex fuel vehicles and we'll be all set. But we'll be right back. You're listening to Bass Edge Radio. Two fishermen came together with one agenda to construct bass boats superior in design and build with a flawless finish. 
with our boat's exhilarating handling and smooth ride. Extreme rough water just doesn't exist. We're not just building a boat. We're building a legend. Legend Boats. This is FLW Rayovac champion Brian Smith, and you're listening to Bass Edge Radio. Well, here we are. Bass Edge Nation is going to get another advanced bass fishing education as we are excited to have on the show for the first time one of this year's most compelling story makers in bass fishing, the 2014 FLW Cup champion, Anthony Gagliardi. Anthony, welcome to Bass Edge Radio. Thank you. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Well, Anthony, thanks uh, so much for taking time to chat with us here on Bass Edge, and really congratulations on your FLW Cup victory this year in South Carolina, and not to mention your three other tour events, and of of course, really one of the toughest was the 2006 FLW Angler of the Year champion. Now that you've had several weeks to dissect the meaning of winning the FLW Cup, what has that meant to you? Well, this was the one goal, I guess is the best way to put it, this eluded me, you know, up until this point. I won Angler of the Year back in 06, like you said, and had a couple other tour-level wins to go along with that. So I feel like I had, I had crossed things off, and this was the one thing that I really, really wanted to get, at least before the end of my career. And it was amazing just to be able to have it happen in the style that it did you know, after the season that I had on this life in front of so many friends and family and supporters. It couldn't have happened at a better time. And it'll be hard for me to ever top that, I believe. You know, throughout the rest of my career, I probably might not ever top you know, just how special that moment was. But you know, I think I'll be fine. If that happens to be the most special moment in my career, I think I'm okay with that. Well, that's a pretty awesome feeling to have. It sounds to me like that was as satisfying as it gets. You know, No matter what there is out there, it feels like you've accomplished your dreams and goals and is that going to be difficult for you to stay kind of amped up now going forward over the next couple of years how do you feel that's going to drive you going forward well that's not going to really you know interfere with any of my drive or focus i'm still going to be driven and still going to be focused because this is what i do to provide for my family so at the end of the day um you know it was nice to cross something off that was a huge goal of mine but at the same time i have to go out and continue to try to support my family and, and do the, the best that i can you know in that regard and at the same time you guys know how competitive we are you know just bass fishermen in general just highly highly competitive and i'm not worried about losing any of my drive or focus to try to win or compete at the highest level so i don't see that being a problem so there's no uh, lack of adrenaline there moving forward as, as you look out at the upcoming years ahead no absolutely not well anthony many fishing fans may or may not know your nearly miracle season began with so much anticipation with obviously the cop being in your on your home water and in your hometown and then the adversity that you began with uh being unable to fish that first tour event of the year at Okeechobee. Then, you know, after a long year of climbing up the AOI standings, you squeak into the cup qualification. Now, of course, you cap it off with the win on your home water. Could you really see a path to this type of success while you're battling through the middle of the year? Really want to dive into what that mental approach was that you took to get yourself in a position to have this success? It was tough. And to be quite honest, you know, when this season started, I didn't, I did not see that path. I knew mathematically, you know, I looked at the numbers. Mathematically, I knew I had a chance, but I was just so down and devastated after what happened at that Okeechobee event. I couldn't get past that. It was hard for me to get past that devastation. But once I got into that first event at Hartwell and, and had a, a good time there, actually my best one of the year, finished seventh, I kind of started to see it, I guess. You know, I knew it was possible, and I was just, a, you know, an inch closer. Albeit it was just an inch, I was a little bit closer to making it happen. And through the support, you know, from my friends and especially 
my wife and my family, I began to believe that it was possible, you know, I guess is the best way to put it. And at each event, my goal going into that next event was just to stay alive. As long as I still had the chance after that next event was over, I was happy. And so after each event, you know, and I was still alive, it was just, it was getting closer and closer, closer to being a reality. So, I mean, obviously after each event, I started seeing it more clearly. And so I just focused even harder for the next one and it just kind of fell me and kept going forward. Well, I, I kind of compare that to, you know, here we are in October and, and for baseball players, you know, the last thing you want to be doing is sitting at home watching the TV in October, you know, and I'm, I'm sure with each passing tournament you know that went by that had to kind of create in your mind hey i've got a little bit of a chance and then each event goes by but what a lot of people don't realize is the amount of work and not only mental stress but just really tapping into kind of that knowledge of the life of your career and a lot of that education for your approach to the cup you know lots of patterns had success at the cup but none really had the same consistency as yours what made your consistent catches possible during such a difficult time of year to locate and really catch the fish needed to do what you did. It was basically the fact that I had a couple of different patterns that I utilized throughout the tournament. That's what it was. I think it would have been really hard to just single one pattern out and ride that through this event. There were some guys that probably tried to do that and did well, but I think it would have been really hard to find one pattern that would have allowed you to fish all four days and catch them the same way. So that was the key for me. And that was the problem I ran into the last time we were here for this tournament. So I fished school and fish the whole time. I thought I had enough sound. I thought I had enough places that it didn't didn't matter what kind of weather we had or any kind of conditions we were faced with, I thought I'd be able to catch them, and it didn't work out. So coming into this one, I wanted to make sure I had more than just one technique, and I wanted some stuff that was really different. So that's why I spent some time this time looking for some shallow fish. You know, I spent way more time fishing shallow during pre-practice than I normally would have. And you know, I found some brush piles way up one of the rivers here on the way and caught some fish out of them, some good fish out of them one day. And so I kind of just held that in my back pocket throughout the regular practice. I mean, I didn't even really practice on them in the tournament and wasn't sure if I needed or not, but lo and behold, three of the biggest fish I weighed in the whole tournament came out of that shallow brush. So it was important that I had that. And then I had a couple other little shallow grass patterns going on as well. But the school and bike, that was going to be my main focus. I just didn't want to put all my eggs into that basket. Well, Anthony, we, you know, seeing some of the footage there from the uh, final day, it looked like that was how you utilized most of that final day was staying on top of those school and fish. Obviously, Lake Murray, several other lakes in that region of the country have the uh, blueback herring as as the major forage for bass. What are some of the best tactics to utilize on those schooling fish as you did that final day of the event? Most of the time, those schooling fish, especially when they're schooling them herring, they're, they're aggressive. And since they're chasing larger bait, you know, that herring is four, five, six inches long sometimes. Anytime they're chasing something that big, most of the time they're easy to get them to bite. As long as you get a bait in their general vicinity, they're going to come over and eat it. So it's not necessarily what you do. It's just a matter of being in the right places at the right time. That's the most important thing. Some other things that I think a lot of people miss out on is, is their speed of their retrieves. I think that's super important, especially when you're catching those fish when they're not up busting. You know, when those fish are up busting and breaking, if you landed in the right spot, nine times out of ten, he's going to bite it. But when they're down and you're trying to pull those fish up, I think a lot of people make the mistake of fishing too slow. And I don't know if you went back and could see some of the videos where I was catching some fish on that young mother D-shad. I fish it fast. I rip it, you know, line my slack up and rip it just over and over and over. Those fish in that clear water, you know, they don't get a really good look at that bait and when it comes flying over their head just like this herring or the herring are super fast and so when that thing comes over top of this fish they don't think about it you know they don't have time to 
have to analyze it and realize it's not real. They just commit to it right away. And you're basically getting a reaction bite from the fish that's suspended, you know, eight foot down or 10 foot down or so. Real quick, I, I did notice actually how you're working that lure. It's been a long time or several years since I've been down in that part of the country fishing some of those blueback lakes. And, and when I was, the last time I was down that way, it was the hot bait was the Sabil Magic Swimmer, right? You know, I mean, it was like on fire back in the mid 2000, you know, 07, 08. It was almost like, you know, you were cheating <laughs> with that deal. Does that bait still work down there in that part of the country? And is it, you know, I see when you're working that fluke, or excuse me, I mean, you use the uh, Yamamoto Magic Shad. So I'd like to dive into that a little bit because I, I think it's a real interesting thing. You had some other competitors catching them on those. Some guys were using the double fluke rigs, but real quick, I got carried away there. I'm getting a little excited, but talk about that Magic Swimmer. Is that still a, a factor there on those lakes down there? It is, and I had, in fact, I had one on my final day or every day of the tournament for that matter. Yeah, but they still bite it. They don't bite it as good as back when you, you talked about being down here when it first came out. But they, they still will bite it. You know, it's a really good practice bait for when you're looking for that type of fish because you can just fish a whole lot of water with that thing, even even more so than with the fluke. It's just easier. I mean, you can make longer casts with it, and, and you don't have to do anything except mind it. You just have to burn that thing back. You're not stressing your shoulder or your elbow a whole lot like you might with when you're fishing that fluke. But they will bite it. There's tournaments one on it still. It's probably not as good as it was five or six years ago, but it's definitely still a factor. You and Kurt had touched on something in the earlier question there concerning the geographic nature of the blueback herring in that region. Are you able to take the techniques and apply those to other impoundments that do not have the blueback herring in them? Or are you able to take that information and how you're approaching maybe the speed of the retrieve or the schooling fish maybe that's taking place that you're seeing on your graph? You know, Are there things that you can take away and actually use elsewhere? To some extent. I've not really been able to capitalize on anything like that places that we've been. It's not like that there's a technique that's only going to catch a blueback related bass. I mean, it's not like that. I mean, you could do this in places where they're feeding on shad. And these fish here, I mean, sometimes it's shad mixed in and there's some bluebacks mixed in. So, you know, I don't want people to think that fishing for a blueback is like learning a whole other species of bass fishing. That's not how it is. I mean, a lot of the stuff translates from one forest to the other. But I think with the bluebacks, a lot of times you're fishing over deeper water than you're, you may be accustomed to doing. I fish a little bit faster. You know, if I feel like I'm fishing around bluebacks, I think your retrieve speed needs to be bumped up a little bit. But, you know, it's still bass fishing. I mean, they're still opportunistic feeders. If you get the right size bait, you know, around their strike zone when they're up schooling, most of the time they're going to bite. The thing that throws people off of the bluebacks more than anything is how they hear about, you know, you catch them somewhere one day and then the next day they're completely gone. And that's true. I mean, that is indicative of blueback fishing. Those things are roamers, you know, those schools of bluebacks will definitely roam. And, and that's one thing here that, you know, that I kind of had going for me. The places that I fished, the blueback's tend to congregate on. So you don't run into that problem of, you know, just you find someone on a point somewhere and then they're not there for three or four more years, which is the case on a lot of places. But I fished some places where those things typically congregate for the whole summer, you know, and the fish at school there will be schooling pretty much the whole summer long. So that was one of the home field advantages I had here for sure. On that kind of home field advantage that you talk about there, if the bluebacks aren't on a particular, let's say you're fishing, you know, a hump or a piece of structure that you know the bluebacks tend to congregate on, if you roll up to that area and they're not around there at that time, do you feel like the bass still stay there? You can catch them 
on other techniques, maybe Carolina rig, football jig, something of that nature? Or do you feel like those fish continue to follow those bluebacks around in those areas? I think they follow them around most of the time. Now, I, will, I do think in the mornings, the blueback bites usually not that good in the morning, unless there's some stool fish. But the, the fish that suspend, we catch that suspend over brush, I think they're there in these areas, even if there's not blueback. These bass know. It's probably because the herring are probably following the pattern. They probably show up at certain times of the day. The bass know that, whereas we, you know, we don't really understand that. But in the places where these fish are suspended and you have to call them up when they're not schooling, I don't think there's herring there all the time. But I think those bass, they know that they'll be there at some point during the day. And, and so they will stay in one area, even if there's no herring there at the time. Now, the places where they're schooling, you know, these schooling type places, I don't think they will. You know, I think if those blue backs leave, I don't think that it would be too long after that that those bass are going to leave too. Because I think those are nomadic schools of blue back. Those are those big, giant open water schools that are out there in the middle of the lake. And they just happen to get pushed in, you know, whether it's wind or something blows them in on that place or, or whatever it is. If those blue backs ever leave those type places, so then I think the fish follow them and I think they move out to deep water or wherever they may go, maybe up shallow. Um, so I think there's two different schools of thought. You know, whether you're fishing you know, specifically schooling fish that are coming up school in the 40 and 50 foot of water, or you're fishing fish that are suspended over brush, you know, say in 20 foot of water or 18 foot of water. Those ones that are suspended over that brush will stay a whole lot longer without baiting in the vicinity than the ones that are out there in that deeper water where they're just predominantly schooling on bait. Right. Great stuff. Hey guys, let's take this opportunity for a short break. Hang tight, Anthony Gagley. Already, we'll be back right here on Bass Edge Radio. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Eventually, it's going to happen. You'll turn the key and your engine won't start. Don't lose your ability to get around. Visit O'Reilly Auto Parts for a super start battery. Whether it's a reliable economy, hardworking premium, or powerful extreme, you'll find it at an everyday low price. Don't let a dead battery slow you down. Visit O'Reilly Auto Parts. Better parts, better prices every day. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Hey, Bass Edge Nation, we are joined with the 2014 FLW Cup champion Anthony Gagliardi in the Lucas Oil Angler Spotlight. Lucas Oil high-performance marine products from real oils to two-cycle outboard oil that surpasses all manufacturers' requirements. Visit them at lucasoil.com. It works. Anthony, how tough is it to get away from, you know, kind of old reliable, you know, spots or areas when you're fishing a tournament or or even just out spending a day on the lake? What recommendations do you have for anglers that are struggling fishing their home waters? That's a problem that a lot of people run into. I've had it happen to me. And the really the only way that you can combat that, I think, is just to try to spend time out on the water, not in a tournament situation. And, you know, a lot of guys, you know, if they live, they work during the week and then they fish a tournament on their local, you know, on their home lake on the weekend. If they don't go out there and practice, you're, you're reluctant to go out and try something new, you know, when there's $50, $100, or $100,000 on the line. You know, you're going to go with what you feel like you know. And so, for me, it's just a matter of getting out there in a non-pressure situation where you can just say, okay, I'm going to go out here. I'm not fishing anything that I have ever fished on this lake before. And you just go out and completely try a new technique or, you know, try some places that you just 
typically wouldn't fish because you don't think they work on this lake. And you can see that happen when all these other guys that aren't familiar with the body of water come to a tournament. There's always people that catch fish using a pattern or fishing an area of the lake that 9 out of 10 locals would say there's no way anybody's going to do any good fishing that way or fishing in that area. But yet guys do. You know, these, ang- these tournament anglers come and do that. So I think it's just a matter of just trying to block that stuff out, you know, going out, like I said, in a non-pressure situation and, and just have fun and, and just enjoy being outside. Forget about trying to catch them. Don't worry about it. And that's when you stumble across something that you've been missing for a long time, you know, fishing on your own lake. Let's talk a little fall fishing on the Blueback Lakes. What are some of the best patterns to look for in the fall as we kind of here at the beginning of October and head deeper into the fall for uh, catching those bass? Yeah, well, obviously, you know, we've touched on it, but, you know, the fish really, really start to school well as the temperature start to drop. And don't get me wrong, they still school, you know, late summer like we had back here at the Cup. There'll still be some cool schooling fish, but most of the schooling fish in the summertime are out a little bit deeper. You know, as the weather starts to cool off, those herring will start to move in a little bit shallower and they start getting closer, you know, to these little rocky points and just, you know, the rocky hunt and stuff like that in the 10 to 15 foot range and that's when they really really get to school and so that's what I like to do as the temperatures start to come down in October I start looking for those rocky points and catching those schooling fish but I don't think that's the best way that time of year to catch a kicker you know you're, you're going to catch a lot of quality fish doing that but if you were going out and just really wanting to catch a big fish personally I tend to gravitate away from the bluebacks if that's my goal and that's when I'll move up shallow you know trying to find some stained water in the back of a bigger creek or something and just fish a lot of shallow wood you know, I fish a lot of shallow wood with a big worm, you know, that time of year. And that's where I'll catch a big fish, you know, in October. It's hard to catch a big giant one out there in the middle of all those schoolers. But if you move in back to some of those creeks and, you know, fish some isolated wood, that's, that's the best way to catch a big one this time of year. Let's talk real quick about trying to locate some of those areas that you discussed, the schooling type stuff. Are you just kind of running out and fishing a thousand points? Are you looking for a particular type of point, some kind of cover on the point? What are you looking for when you're out there, you know, trying to approach those fall patterns there's a lot of randomness involved you know there are certain points like i said that tend to be better year after year if you look on the mouth of the creek you know mouth of a decent sized creek it has deep water on all sides you know it needs to have deep water on all sides and and those are the ones that that's going to be your textbook late summer blueback herring schooling spot now that being said you're liable to find fish schooling you know at any place you know around the lakes deep or shallow but those are the ones that i that i key in on first you know just fishing around the mouth of those creeks usually you're putting your boat to start with you know i'm going to start out there in about 50 foot of water when i pull up on the point and i'll work my way in and then a lot of times those fish will be out there in that 50 foot range schooling sometimes they're going to be up there in that 20-foot range school. You want a hard bottom, I think. It doesn't really matter what's down there, but you don't want to fish on top of a mud or silt bottom. And I don't know why. You know, the fish are suspended right below the surface. You wouldn't think they care what's on the bottom, you know, 20, 30 feet below, but it seems like they do. So try to stay over some type of hard bottom if you can. And just be observant. You know, there's so many times when I'm fishing, just always, you know, have your head on a swivel and be looking around and listen. You know, that's another thing. A lot of school fish that I find, I find them because I hear them. You know, they're on the other side of the mountain of the creek, you know, school on the other point or they're way out behind my boat and I hear those fish and that's how I find a lot of them. But just always be looking around. Sometimes you just see a blue bag, you know, skip across the water and nothing ever blows up on them and he doesn't make a noise but, you know, it's just something that you might catch out of the corner of the eye and that may pull you in on them you know, to the specific spot on that point that you're fishing where those fish are holding or you may see them on the other side of the creek and, you know, and they come up blowing up. But just always be looking. You know, that's the biggest thing. It's just, it, it reminds me of hunting. You know, that's what I tell people. I almost feel like I'm hunting 
out there when I'm fishing those schooling fish. So just pay attention, and, and more times than not, you'll see them. You know, they'll show themselves to you. Well, that's good stuff right there. And we are rolling right along, Bass Edge Nation, as it is time for the O'Reilly Auto Parts, the professional parts people. Listener question. Anthony, each episode, we give away a $100 gift card from O'Reilly Auto Parts. This week's question comes from Jim Barry from Lakeview, New York. And Jim wants to know, I am casting a frog. I cannot get the white belly down in the water. The frog keeps going on its back until I'm cranking away, and about halfway back, it then corrects itself. Any suggestions? Help him out, Anthony. Oh, man. Um, I'm not the best frog guy on tour, but I've had that problem in the past. And there's only really one thing that I've used that works. I'll take a split shot and hit it with a hammer or squeeze it with a pair of pliers and flatten it out and just super glue it onto the existing belly weight on that frog. And that'll sometimes get it to correct itself a little bit faster. The only other thing you can really do is when you throw that frog out there and it hits the water, if you'll give it a quick twitch or two, you know, before you start pulling it in, a lot of times you'll get the head to dip down and he'll go underwater and then he'll ride himself as he comes back up. And he'll be right side up the rest of the trees. So either add a little bit of weight to the belly or just make sure you give him a couple quick pops when he hits the water and most of the time he'll be right side up for you. Hey Anthony, let me ask you this real quick just to tag on to that question. Do you think that although color obviously is probably what Jim's looking for, having the white belly down in the water, do you think that it matters on hookup ratio, whether that hook's facing up or down as as anglers are reeling it back in? Yeah, for sure. That's, that's probably way more important than just the color of it. I think those fish would probably hit it, regardless of which side was you know, up or down, but definitely. What, your hookup ratio on a frog is not the best to begin with, so yeah, you, you want those hooks riding up for sure. All righty. Hey, Anthony, I appreciate you answering Jim's question, and Jim, we thank you for sending in that question to Bass Edge. Be sure to send us an email letting us know you heard your question answered on the show by Anthony Gagliardi and redeem your $100 O'Reilly Auto Parts gift card. Bass Edge listeners, we appreciate all the feedback and really encourage you to continue submitting those questions via our Facebook page and Twitter handle at Bass Edge or certainly through our email support at BassEdge.com. Please remember, include your name and hometown so that we can send that gift card right out to you. Anthony, man, time has flown by on us, but uh, you know we're about to wrap this up. We're so happy you could get together with us here on Bass Edge Radio. You got any final words for our listeners? Well, I'm mean, yeah, just thanks, you know, thank you guys for having me. It's been a little while now since we had the cup, and it's kind of good to get another one of these interviews in. You know, it can kind of take me back in time, and I get to relive it a little bit. So, thanks for having me on for sure. Well, Anthony, yeah. we certainly appreciate you stopping by and and really living vicariously through you and that moment. What a uh, miraculous season! Could not be more happier for you. We wish you continued success on into the 2015 season. Bass Edge Radio. We'll be right back in a moment. Now you can order Bass Edge Season 3 on DVD. Own the best resource for tips and techniques in bass fishing as host Aaron Martin tackles lakes across the country with the industry's top pro anglers, including Denny Brower, Boyd Duckett, Randy Howell, and Dave Wolak. This two-disc set includes all 13 episodes. That's over 10 hours of Bass Edge, including interviews, bloopers, and highlights, all for just $19.95. Order online at BassEdge.com. And be sure to check out previously released DVDs like Bass Edge Seasons 1 and 2 and Electronics 101. Bass Edge, Season 3, now on DVD at BassEdge.com. Always. 
always good chatting with Anthony Gagliardi, 2014 FLW Cup champion, paid 500000 bucks. Anthony never will get tired of hearing that, I guarantee it. But I tell you, Aaron, in his talk, in our discussion, one key little point I want to bring up is, you know, we talked a lot about schooling fish, if fish would stay there or not stay there. Uh, even when he started talking about the fall fishing that is here upon us, he talked about having the right structure underneath where those schooling fish hang out to keep them in that location, even if the bait fish aren't there. Yeah, no question. As we head deeper into winter, you know, beyond kind of the fall, and and I really like targeting, especially in the dead of winter, and you can kind of get away with that both in the summertime and the wintertime, but those deep schooling fish. And, and one of the things that I've noticed on a lot of the clear reservoirs that I've fished is if you have kind of that bottom structure or that cover, in my particular situation, a lot of times I'm fishing over trees that are topping out maybe in 35, 40 feet of water, and then those bass are positioned right above the trees because they have that ability to move up and down in the water column to get that security. But then also, you know, you've got the bait above them. So as we've heard many times from our friend, the pond boss, Bob Lusk, biologist, you know, he talks about fish really only need that comfort, that security, and food. And you know what? They'll be anywhere that they have those three things. So it's just a matter of narrowing it down, kind of like you mentioned. Yeah, great stuff there. That could apply anywhere in the country, no doubt. And Anthony, again, talked a little bit about the big fish. He's going to move away from some of those bigger congregations to find some of those isolated areas that might hold a bigger bass if he is actually trying to locate a lunker this fall. So uh, good stuff from him. I tell you what, Aaron, we are out of time. I appreciate everyone being with us on the show today. And of course, all you listeners, Bass Edge Nation, thanks so much for all your feedback. Please continue that. I am Kurt Dove for Aaron Martin and the rest of the Bass Edge staff. We'll see you the next episode, October 15th, 2014. You know the importance of protecting your investments. So why use anything other than the toughest keel protector for your boat? Grinding sand, abrasive rocks, and concrete ramps are no match for our patented technology. Keel Guard keel protectors are made tough and made to stick. Their do-it-yourself installation takes less than an hour, providing the most dependable, most trusted keel protection for your boat, guaranteed for life. So give your boat the performance edge. Put on the protection the pros pick. Keel Guard keel protectors. The Edge is presented by KeelGuard. For more information on Bass Edge or to shop at the Bass Edge online store, visit BassEdge.com. And be sure to join Kurt Dove and Aaron Martin right here on another episode of The Edge. Brought to you in part by Legend Boats, O'Reilly Auto Parts, Lucas Oil Products, ProtectTheHarvest.com, Mercury Marine, PowerPole, and Rapaholic.com. MegaWare KeelGuard presents this October 1 edition of Bass Edge Radio. MegaWare KeelGuard has been a proud... <clears throat> Are you from Brooklyn? <laughs> All right. Let's, let's start that one over. I am not erasing that one.